Welcome to Herb W. Morgan's Weekly Economic and Market Commentary, a podcast about markets, investing, politics, and profit. Each Monday, in less than 20 minutes, Wall Street portfolio manager Herb W. Morgan distills all the complex and complicated into the simple and sensical. Here's Herb. Hey, good morning, everybody. It's Monday, May 24th, 2021. I'm Herb Morgan, Senior Managing Director, Chief Investment Officer here at Efficient Market Advisors. We are a business of Cantor Fitzgerald Investment Advisors. Uh, as a reminder, you can follow me more frequently than this weekly presentation on Twitter at ETF underscore strategist.com or on LinkedIn, just Herb Morgan. This is a podcast as well as a direct commentary. It's available on our website. Uh, with the slides that go along with it. But if you just like to listen on a podcast, Apple, Spotify, Podchaser, et cetera, it's called Slaying Bulls and Bears, Making the Complex and Complicated Simple and Sensical. comes out every Monday. Everything you're about to see and or hear is designed for use with either or both investors and financial advisors. Of course, all of the above are expected to make their own investment decisions. Nothing contained in this presentation should be treated as investment advice. There are no recommendations for the purchase or sale of any securities. We had a mixed week last week in equity prices. We had uh, domestic equities, mostly lower, about 0.4% down for the S&P, mid-cap stocks a little more than 1%, small caps about eight-tenths of a percent. But international markets rallied last week, which was interesting. On a year-to-date basis, everything's positive, the U.S. still leading. We also had bonds catch a bid, despite, despite all the inflation concerns and rising inflation expectations, the bond market continues to just kind of hang in there, and we have this 10-year Treasury hovering around 1.6%. In sympathy with the decline in equities, though, we did see a tiny sell-off in the high-yield marketplace, about a tenth of a percent lower. Economic data continues to be strong, and I expect you'll be hearing me say that for an extended period of time. Let's start with the New York State Manufacturing Survey. This is one of the first manufacturing surveys that comes out for a given month. This is the May report. Of course, May is not even over yet. It fell just a tad to a very high reading of 24.3. We saw a strong gain in new orders, the highest level since 2006. Employment was still Good. I would even say very good. I'm not ready to say great on the employment side just yet. What is great? The housing market is in fuego. That's on fire, as we say out here in the West and the South. The National Association of Home Builders sentiment index of people who build homes came in unch, unchanged at 83. Confidence in the builders is buoyed by the fact that the Fed keeps telling them they're not raising interest rates anytime soon. Incredibly strong demand, multiple buyers on nearly every property, but very, very low inventory. All of that is making them feel very, very confident. So confident, in fact, that they continue to start new homes and pull permits for new homes. Housing starts came in at an annualized pace of 1.57 million in April. That was down from March, but you can still see it's one of the four highest readings of the last decade. Building permits rose to a uh, 1,760,000 annualized pace. 
that's among the four highest readings in the last decade as well. So there may be a little help on the horizon for supply, for supply, but uh, we'll keep taking a look at that and see what happens. Existing home sales decline though and continue to decline. They're still at a pretty healthy clip. Why are they declining? There's just not enough inventory uh, to meet the demand. And so it's just hard to get them moving. Uh, and prices are going through the roof, uh, pricing people out of the housing market, pricing people out of the housing market. Let's move away from housing into jobs. Initial jobless claims fell to 444,000 last week. We're getting close to a healthy jobs market, but we're not there yet. Before the pandemic, we were in the two, low 200,000 per week. That was the healthiest, best job market I've seen since I've been managing money, starting in the 1980s. Uh, we got to over six million a week for a period of time during the pandemic. It was a pretty horrific situation. It was attacked with massive monetary and fiscal support. Now, as these things go down, 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 we're down to 444,000. I want to see I want to see an extended period below 400, even in the low threes, before we can claim ali ali oxen free on the jobs market. And that's one of the things the Fed is looking at: why they're in no hurry to raise interest rates. They also think that it's they're not at jeopardy of running inflation too hot for too long. Although there will be plenty of commentary about that as we move uh, throughout the next, say, six to 12 months. In terms of manufacturing, the Philadelphia Fed survey came out last week for the month of May. Um, it fell from 50 to 31. That doesn't mean much because 50 was unsustainably high. Uh, you can see here a nice string of big gains. 31 is a very high re reading. New orders also very high at 32 and a half. Employment Again, good, B plus, not great. We still want the employment component to go higher. That's the Philly Fed regional survey. If we take a look at Marquette's national survey for May, it's uh, post-pandemic high, 61.5, 61.5 on Marquette. Uh, Marquette services, remember manufacturing is about 15% of the economy, services about 85%. That came at 70 uh, again, nothing even close to that from the last three years you see on the screen here. So this is the reopening trade. This is, we're still not completely reopened. Uh, even California, which is usually, is, you know, obviously one of the last to participate. Uh, California will get, I would say, completely reopened by June 15th now. I know they just announced this, the, the, ball, the major league stadiums can go to full capacity. The mask mandate goes away, et cetera. So we're very excited about it, obviously, but services sector is going to just continue to boom, we think, for the rest of this year, if not for longer. So the question I get all the time, markets come up so much, I got a bad feeling, I think I should reduce it, et cetera. But markets gone up very near an all-time high. I mean, we're within with a single digit, 3% or so of an all-time high as we speak, yet the PE is going down. The PE is going down while the market's going up. That only happens in an incredible boom time. So the market's going up, but the earnings are going up more. Earnings exceeded expectations of some really, really smart people in this last quarter that were just wrapping up, the quarter that ended June 30th. So much so that the PE dropped from 27 to 22. 
I would argue that the expectations for the future 12 months, which is what this PE ratio represents on your screen, that those expectations are too low and that the actual forward PE is even below 20. Well, that's still kind of high, isn't it? Well, not really, not when you have a 1.6% risk-free alternative. The US 10-year treasury is the risk-free alternative. So if the earnings, if the PE was 25, the earnings yield would be four, 4%. 4% is a lot more than 1.6%. It should be more because you have risk in stocks. But the fact is we're well below 25. So the gap between the earnings yield with risk and the risk-free yield without risk, as US Treasury is considered no risk of repayment, uh, is still pretty good. It makes sense to continue to own stocks especially if you think like I do, that earnings are going to be even better than currently estimated. But what about inflation? Inflation expectations are rising. The blue line represents the Conference Board Consumer Inflation Expectation Index. The consumers are, are predicting, they're fearing, that inflation over the next 12 months will exceed 6.5%, could be 6.7. The CPI, over the last 12 months is at 4.2. So we believe inflation is going to accelerate. But if you look back in the past, when this thing has spiked, it's also had subsequent big drops. Go back to the uh, 2011, big spike, followed by big drop. 2008, big spike, followed by big drop. So it now seems likely if this pattern repeats that we could actually see inflation expectations begin to roll over and head lower. The U.S. 10-year Treasury, the most, you know, one of the biggest right, markets in the world, U.S. Treasury market, is, is continuing to stay pretty well anchored. Now, we had extreme lows due to the pandemic. That makes sense. But here we are at this 160 level where we've been at essentially all year, all year around this 160 level, a little bit of a hike here and there, not much. And so if we're really going to get more inflation, why wouldn't the 10-year treasury be yielding 3%, three and a half? Well, the argument would be because the Fed is intervening in that marketplace and buying treasuries. They're buying $80 billion a month worth of treasuries. They're buying $40 billion worth a month of mortgage-backed securities. So $120 billion a month, that's $6 billion per trading day, it's about 20 days in a month, every single day. And so the, the, this violent intervention in the marketplace is keeping rates artificially low. That would be the argument. So you have to continue to go and think and go research and go deeper and say, well, okay, but we all know that the Fed eventually will taper that buying, right? They're going to taper it. They're going to re reduce the buying and eventually they'll stop buying. So will then the interest rates just go higher then and will inflation continue to anchor and go higher then? It might. Because as I showed you last week, I showed you, you know, for example, lumber was up 400%, right? It had quadrupled. But since then, lumber's gone from 1600 down to about 1400 So it's come down a little. Is it enough? I don't know. But remember lumber and coffee and corn and sugar and oil and gasoline, these are all commodities. And they trade with what's called a futures contract. When you're trading them, you're not actually trading big, big two-by-fours. You're trading a futures contract on a big bunch of two by fours. And that contract is, in, is for settlement delivery in the future. So the contracts for this month, massive reopening, massive demand without a lot of supply because everybody was closed and shut down. It makes sense that they went up. This is the market in action. This is the efficient market. 
What about in the future months? Now, this is a complicated slide, but I'm going to draw your attention to the lower left. July lumber is still at $1,400, but September lumber is down to $1,300. November is at $1,100, and January lumber is below $1,100. It's at $1,082. So what this tells me is that very sophisticated Wall Street commodity traders are actually betting that commodity prices and inflation and inflation expectations are going to go lower. We call this backwardation in the commodities market. When the future months trade for less than the current month, we call it backwardation. It doesn't happen all the time, but it's happening now, suggesting to me that the Fed might be right and the inflation expectations might just be transitory. Still, not all things are traded as a commodity. Wages, which are going higher, for example, are going to be stickier. But higher wages leads to higher consumer spending, which leads to higher corporate profits. So that's not necessarily a bad thing. Let's take a look at another commodity, corn. Corn's at $654, or 654, I should say. But September is lower, December lower still. Keep going all the way out to September of 22, much lower, in fact. So also those other commodity markets are predicting lower inflation. So we're not ready to predict or panic about inflation expectations. We're just not there yet. We got a close eye on it, don't get me wrong. Earnings season was great. We expect the next earnings season to be great. But we also didn't get positive price reaction to the upside earnings beats last quarter. And we're well aware of that. The other thing we see in the earnings reports is a lot of companies are saying they might be at peak profit margin. And profit margins might start to go down because of the wage price inflation that seems to be creeping in. We're aware of that as well. Still, on a risk-reward basis, we think stocks represent the better alternative. So overweight stocks and underweight bonds for now. This week, lots of economic data, house price data. We know that's going to be big regular jobless claims, first quarter GDP print expected to be unchanged from the initial print, pending home sales, durable goods, personal income and spending Friday. Look at that big drop expected in personal income because of the roll off of stimulus payments. Uh, we also got personal spending, PCE inflation, consumer sentiment, Chicago PMI. As always, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. It's always my pleasure to do this every week. I, I enjoy it. Don't forget, uh, tell your iPhone, hey Siri, play slaying bulls and bears and it will subscribe you get you subscribed to our uh to my podcast which is this this presentation of course to get the slides you need to subscribe via email or go to our website each week thank you everybody for tuning in we will talk to you again next week thanks for listening if you'd like to download the slides for this week's podcast, please visit www.efficient-portfolios.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly commentary podcast in all the usual ways. And if you wouldn't mind, please rate us in iTunes and tell a friend.